Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. If you have your Bibles, open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And before you do, I'd like to kind of give a little funny here if I could. But uh, in a wedding cake, a lady asked the baker to put 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 on her cake. Just the scripture, 1 John 4, 18, which says, there's no fear in love. Well, that's a nice scripture to have on your wedding cake, isn't it? No fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. And I'm sure it was just this first part, but he who fear has not been made perfect in love. And so the baker made a mistake and he left first out and he just put John 4, 18, which says, for you have had five husbands and the one you have now <laughs> is not your husband you spoke of. Well, how embarrassing. And that's kind of funny, isn't it? You know, well, you know, it takes a perfect God to work with imperfect people. Amen. And, um, you know, hopefully nobody was too offended by that, uh, especially those who were getting married. Amen. Glory to God. There will be a rally for Israel uh, at the Broadway and 9th Street on Monday from 4.30 to 6, uh, 6 p.m., they ask if you have Israeli flags or can wear blue and white and, and support for Israel. That would be wonderful. So, so if you have your Bibles opening with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting with verse 1, and as soon as you get there, tell us what page it's on so we can all be on the same page today. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, and burned it with fire. They had taken captive the women, and those were there. From small to great, did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, uh, um, I can't pronounce her name, Anahinoen, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had all been taken. And David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. And because the soul of all the people were very grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. You know, when we go through trying times in life, one of the greatest things that we have to learn how to do is strengthen ourselves in the Lord. You know, and I've often thought about this, and so I feel like the Lord gave me a few things here to share with you on. When you're in that difficult time, and you feel like there's no one really to stand with you, but it's just you and God. We need to learn how to receive strength from the Lord ourselves. I think the first thing for David, in order for us to get to a place where we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord, is to remember this. Try to avoid putting yourself in a place where, you know, you've left the door open for discouraging things to happen. Let me explain that. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 27. And this is what opened the door for David 
to experience a setback in his life. And remember this one thing in your setback, regardless of whether it is self-induced or it came from a different source, in your setbacks, God always has a setup for your comeback. God always has a plan. You say, well, I really blew it. I deserve this. You know, God's love says, well, you may deserve it, but I've got a plan for you to overcome every setback that comes your life. And here, after Saul had attempted to uh, kill David 21 times, David said in his heart, 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul, and there's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Who was their arch enemy? The Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in the part of Israel, so I, I shall escape out of his hands. One of the things that I learned from this particular story is this. Don't ever make a major decision when you're discouraged. You know, it's so important that we recognize we're going through a discouraging moment, but this is not the time to make a life-changing decision, even though because we're discouraged. And this life-changing decision that David made, don't ever think it doesn't affect other people. It affected him and his 600 warriors and ultimately his own family and their family. Every decision that we make, if it doesn't honor God or according to God's will and plans for our lives, doesn't just only affect us, but it affects those who are around us. So that's why it's important that when we are challenging with, with, with difficult times, going through discouraging times, that we don't make a life-changing decision. You know, I say it like this. I don't make a decision, a life-changing decision, if I'm ill or not feeling well or when everything's going against me, or when I feel pressure to make a decision. When I feel pressure to make a decision, that's when I walk away. Several years ago, before I was married, I had an opportunity to invest in some property, and uh, other things were going on, and I just felt the pressure of feeling like I needed to do this. I needed to go ahead and, and buy this particular piece of property, and I just felt so pressured, and there were a couple other things going on, and I finally just cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I need to do in this situation? And I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, nothing. Don't do anything because you feel pressure right now. And I'm so thankful because that one decision, if I would have bought that particular piece of property, which I didn't know at the time, but my future was to marry Vicky, and I wasn't married to her at that time. If I had that piece of property and then married Vicky, the financial burden would have just been very, very difficult for us to walk through. So I'm thankful that I heard from the Lord. And so the first thing is that we need to ask ourselves when we are under dis, uh, distress times is, are we allowing the stress to lead us or are we overcoming the stress by waiting on the Lord? The Word of God says that they that wait upon the Lord, they that wait to hear from God, they that allow God to bring His perfect will into their lives will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. They will mount up with wings as eagles. I tell you, when you begin to wait on God, God will begin to manifest himself. A lot of times for many of us, it's not fast enough. But God's got a plan of victory for your life. 
That's why the book of Jeremiah tells us, I know the thoughts that I think about you. They're thoughts of good, not evil. They're thoughts of being an overcomer. That's why the Word of God tells us in Romans 8 that you are more than an overcomer in this life. That's God's plan for your life. Now, a few years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about an uh, episode in Star Trek. How many of you watch Star Trek? You know, is that, is that right? Am I, am I doing that right, you know? You know, what's interesting about that is that this is the first Greek letter for the name of God. Isn't that something? No wonder Star Trek has been prosperous all these years. They're honoring God and everything that they do. But nevertheless, he was telling me about this episode where there was a time machine situation or whatever. You know, Star Trek's all fiction and everything. And they came back to the, the earth on our time, and they were in a crisis situation, and they saw a lady on a gurney. And they said, what's your problem? She says, oh, I'm going, I need dialysis. I have kidney failure. And they said, oh, take these two pills and you won't have any more problems anymore. Because they were so far advanced in their technology that they had, according to this episode, this is not true, okay, this is fiction, everybody. But according to them, they had discovered a medical cure that if you take two, two pills that your kidneys will be totally restored. You know, and wouldn't it be cool if we did have a time machine and we could go back in time and fix some of our mistakes? But some of us probably make greater mistakes fixing our old mistakes than we would have if we just let our old mistakes go, you know, uh, get, just get, get behind us, you know. Most of us probably would, you know. But wouldn't it have been cool if we could go into a time machine and go back to David at this point here in First Samuel chapter 27? He said, no, nah, man, I'm so discouraged. Someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perish at the hand of Saul. Wouldn't it have been awesome if we could have just grabbed David and just hugged him and said, David, don't make this mistake. Listen, we read the rest of the book and you will be king someday. I'm going to tell you, God's going to take care of Saul. Don't worry about it. God's got this thing, David. Don't make this mistake. But David, nevertheless, he made that mistake because there's not a time machine, is there? But that mistake was put in there, written by God for us to learn from his mistake. And as a result of his mistake, he, he did. He defected to the Philistines. And as a result of the discouragement and the offense, he had to live a life of deception. He'd come back to the commanders of the Philistines, and he would tell them, he would say, you know, yes, I raided in Israel, and I wiped them all out. And I mean, he had to wipe everybody out because he couldn't have any trace of who he wiped out because he was actually wiping out the enemies of Israel. But then came a day where the Philistines got bold again, and they were going to attack Israel, and they were going to attack Saul. And the question came up amongst the commanders of, uh, of the Philistines, and they said, will David be loyal to us or not? They said, well, we better not take a chance, so we're going to send them back to Ziglag. Ziglag was a place that Caleb had actually conquered, and it was a place of, uh, of, of minerals where they took minerals out of the mountains and melted them down. But uh, Ziglag was the territory that the Philistines had given David uh, and, and his family. So David had been gone from his family for about 18 months, and, and they went back to Ziglag to find a great disappointment. And there's only one way to Ziglag. Ziglag was a mountain. There's only one way in and one way out. 
And you had to go to Zeglag by taking these switchbacks back and forth, back and forth, so you can gradually go up this steep mountain at a much uh, a, a slower pace. But when they came over the crest and began to walk in the Zeglag, there was a plume of fire. There was a deafening noise there. Usually when they came home, you know, the family recognized that their loved ones had come home from the army and there was a big celebration and banners and tambourines and, and people thanking God that their loved ones were back there, back home. But this time there was just a deafening silence because nobody was there to greet them. And so when the men begin to go into their homes and begin to go, you know, uh, search for their families, they discovered that every one of them had been taken captive. And so then the thought started coming upon those men who were following David. Why did I follow you in the first place? Had I done my own thing, maybe I'd still have my family. Hello, somebody. Sometimes people in leadership do make mistakes, and it does affect us, but that's not the time to, you know, separate yourself from leadership. That's the time to begin to pray for leadership. Everybody makes mistakes. It takes a perfect God to work with imperfect people. Tell your neighbor he's talking about me. It does take a perfect God to work with imperfect people, and we are going to make mistakes, and David did make some mistakes. But you know what? David had to strengthen himself and encourage himself in the Lord. You know, I'm not sure how David did that. We don't have a history of that, but I do know how I do that. And first of all, one of the things I do when I begin to strengthen myself in the Lord is I remind myself of what God has done for me. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, you ought to shout your biggest, your, your biggest praise. Why? Because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, I'll never forget when I was first saved and I used to go on the streets and I witnessed the people and, and I'd go uh, in, in, into certain areas of Fort Worth and I didn't know that there was dangerous areas in the city, you know, because I, you know, even though I was born in the city, my parents moved us out into the country and, and basically most of my life was I was a country boy. So I didn't know there was dangerous areas in the city or harmful places in the city. And so I would just be led of the spirit and I go into these places where I found out later there was a lot of killings and a lot of crime going on in those areas. And one day I walked up to a gentleman and I asked him, you know, if I never see you again, well, I see you in heaven. And, you know, he tried to dismiss me. He said, sir, I appreciate what you're trying to do. He said, but, you know, I just got out of prison. I was so naive. I said, it doesn't matter. God will save you once you got out of prison. It's not, I said, you know, half the book, half the Bible is written by somebody in prison, you know. And, and, and he said, sir, you don't understand. He said, but right now I'm on a drug run. I've got a bag full of dope here. I'm going to sell it. I said, that doesn't matter to God. God will still save you even with a bag of dope. He said, sir, you don't really understand. I'm carrying a gun. Well, it just didn't faze me. He was threatening my life. You know? And I said, it doesn't really matter if you're carrying a gun. God will still save you. So finally, he gave up on me. He said, I appreciate what you're doing. He didn't do any harm to me. And later on, I thought, you know, that guy threatened me. <laughs> but, you know, I thought, well, if he killed me, what's the worst thing that happened? I go to heaven. Glory to God. That's why we can say there's no man and no devil and no government that can stop God's plan for your life. You know what? No matter what, I'm in a win-win situation. Now, my wife has told me that she doesn't want me to leave prematurely. I understand that, and I get that. 
But nevertheless, no matter what I do and where I'm at, if I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto me. God's got a plan for me to be an overcomer in this life. And so when you're going through discouraging moments, just begin to thank God. Hey, my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm saved, you know, and then begin to tell you, if God before me, who can be against me? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Begin to rehearse your past victories. You know, there's not a perfect church, and if there was and you joined this perfect church, you would just ruined it. But there's not a perfect church. You know, this church has gone through things and gone through challenges. But when we do, I just begin to think about the goodness of God. How over 26 years ago, about this time, we started this work with a lot of opposition. We had other friends in the ministry tell us, it will never work, Tom. It will never work. What are you doing? I mean, my wife and I, we had a great ministry there in Fort Worth, Texas. We were adult singles ministers and college and career ministers. We had our own radio show, which, you know, radio broadcast every Friday night, which reached, you know, well over 600,000 people. You know, we had a singles ministry larger than, you know, our congregation is today. God opened up so many great doors for us. We had our own private reserve parking spot. Wow, you know. We were getting paid to do this on top of it, you know. And people would say, you're crazy. You're going to give up all this to go, you know, start a church. In fact, one, one preacher said to me, he said, why would you want to go to Columbia? It's a preacher's graveyard. You know, all the discouraging thoughts that came our way. But yet we obeyed God. And when we got here, you know, there was a church that was for sale. When we went and looked at the church, me and Vicki looked at the church and she said, you know what, that's just not right. That church isn't just right for us. Something's not right with us. So the realtor took us to this old bar. And I tell you, we walked in and the, you know, coolers were still there and it stunk. I'm telling you, it just, nobody had been in it for two or three months, you know, and water on the floor. And we walked in, and I looked at Vicki, and I said, this is it. She said, let's go back to the other church. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it. God gave us that opportunity. And fortunately for us, this old bar had been donated to a church, and the church who had it said, hey, we'll give you two months rent, and we'll charge you $400 a month to get you started. And we're like, praise God for that. So we got in there, and we got it all cleaned up and, you know, sprayed as much Lysol as we could afford to buy, and we started church. And how many people came that first day? 19 people. Boy, we thought we had a landslide. You know, and God eventually opened up the door for us to buy that facility uh, six months later, which was a miracle, because they came and they said, we'll sell it to you, but we want $25,000 down. We didn't have $25,000. I'm telling you that, you know, when you're starting a church, you count everybody as part of your congregation. And we had 35. And when they would bring their pet dog, we had 36. I mean, but we rejoice in the fact that God supernaturally brought that $25,000 in. And in the next six months, we remodeled that place, paid $60,000, paid cash to do it. The neighbor was an asphalt dealer, an asphalt contractor. And uh, he put a brand new driveway in for us. And I said, while you're doing that, would you mind paving all the way up? I said, how much would you charge us? He donated it to us. You know, and so, and then within two and a half years, we paid that particular property off. 
God did such a miracle for us. And then five years later, after we started that church, we got a prophetic word that God was going to send us a church that wants to merge with us. And that happened to be this facility. And the transition team came to us after the pastor resigned and said, Preacher, do you want to merge churches? And we said, well, you know, um, it's not really in the location we were really looking for. But uh, we came out here and God spoke to us and said, this is the place. And so we took not only the, the merging of this congregation, but we took on the indebtedness of this congregation. And in fact, actually the permit for this particular property wasn't even completed. We had to complete some things to, to uh, get a permit for occupancy of this particular property. And we had to put in a, a, a uh, asphalt parking lot, which I'm still scratching my head. You know, Boone County won't pave our road, but they want us to have an asphalt parking lot. And I got good news. I had a dream last night that I was with Boone County and they said, we're going to have the road paved within a year. I'm believing that. Bless the person who has the authority to do that. They can't sleep. You say, how do you know? I said, because I've released my angels so they can't sleep until they sign that work order. So we came out here, and, 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 and lo and behold, the property that we had bought for $125,000 had, had now appraised to be $365,000. We sold that for $300,000, put that towards the indebtedness, put it in a parking lot, and look what God's done in, in the last 21 years here in this facility. Isn't it wonderful? He said, boy, that's a great report. Well, that's how I keep myself encouraged, by remembering the goodness of God, how God has blessed us. There's, there's challenges, and there still will be challenges. And you will be challenging. There'll be sometimes discouraging moments. But you need to remind yourself, if God before you, who can be against you? In Psalms chapter 78, go with me to Psalm 78. Are we doing okay this morning? Starting with verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And I will open my mouth in parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. In other words, he's going to share them. Telling to generation to generation... Come uh, to come to the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that their, gen that their generation to come might know them, that the children who would be born, that we may arise and declare to them, to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's why it's so important to share your testimony. You know, the greatest way to witness somebody is to tell them what God's done for you. I've often witnessed the people, and, you know, and sometimes I have just a short moment, just a short, you know, attention span. But one of the things that the, has caught a lot of people's uh, hearts is this, when I say this to them, I said, you know, if you can only experience five minutes of what God's done for me, you would feel the same way I feel about God. You know, God can change your life. And that's what people want to know. They want to know what's God done for you. And the second thing they want to know is what's in it for me. 
Now, what's in it for you? Well, number one, salvation. Number two, peace. Number three, prosperity. Number four, God's going to make a way for you, and he is going to direct your paths, and he's going to reveal his goodness in your life. So it's important that we rehearse the good things that God has done for us. The second thing is look forward, don't look backwards. I said look forwards, don't look backwards. Rehearse those things that God has said about you. Rehearse the prophecies that God has spoken about you. One of the things that Vicki and I do is we take prophecies that have been spoken about this church and about ourselves, and we just declare them almost on a daily basis. We declare what God's doing. That's what this divine reversal is that you see on the screen. It was spoken over this ministry. Hey, there's going to be some divine reversals. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? You know what? I'm not sure I know all of what it means. I just know that God's doing some great things in this house and for this church. And it's important not only that we rehearse these divine uh, are these these prophecies but it's important that we speak these prophecies why because in first timothy chapter 1 verse 18 paul said this to timothy this charge i commit to you timothy according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may war wage the good warfare in other words, when you begin to speak the prophecies that God's spoken over you, it's just as equal and equivalent to speaking the Word of God over you. This is God's will for your life. In fact, the Message Bible says it like this. The prophetic word that was directed to you prepared uh, us for this. All those prayers are coming together now so you will do this well. Fearless in your struggle, keeping a firm grip on your faith and on yourself. After all, this is the fight that we are in. Begin to speak what God has spoken over you. Begin to declare what God has said about you. Not only in the written word, but some of the prophetic words that God has spoken over you. There's going to be divine reversal. Why are we, why do we declare that sign when you drive up? Is it an arrogant thing that for us to believe this, that we're the revival hub of mid-America? No, because it was spoken over this church that we're a hub. We're an epic center. This is a place of crossroads. This is a place where God's going to, re going to reveal his glory to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And I don't know how many times it was prophesied that we're going to see hundreds and hundreds, but maybe a hundred times, I'm not real sure. But we believe and we're speaking what God said that, that, that he has for this house and for you. The expanded Bible says it like this, Timothy, my child, I'm giving you a command. And an instruction that agrees with the prophecies that were given about you in the past. I tell you this so that by the following, you can use them and by recalling them, you can fight the good fight. Does that sound familiar? What are we supposed to fight? We're supposed to fight the good fight of faith. And when you're fighting the good fight of faith, you don't lose, you always win. Amen. The Amplified Bible says it like this. This charge... I commit and trust in you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophetic words which I formally received concerning you so that, in, that, that, in, that they will inspire you and aid you and so that you may wage a good warfare. This is how we fight the good fight of faith, by not only speaking as I shared these last 
three weeks on this word is the inspired word of God, and we can trust it, not only speaking the word of God, but speaking those things that God has for us to come to pass. Well, then the third thing that I see here is that not only should we look forward, but we need to look up. We need to look to God. You know, so many times, as Vicky said, so many times, if we will take our seat, seat it with Christ in the heavenly places, you know what that really means? That means that we're resting in the Lord, putting our trust in Him. You know, anything that we have to do in our own strength, we have to maintain in our own strength. I know I, I discovered this revelation about David when David had that opportunity right before he got discouraged, you know, about Saul taking his life. He had the opportunity to take Saul's life. But he did not because he would not touch God's anointed. In fact, this is what the Lord spoke to me about David. David realized that if he, if he would have obtained the kingdom in his own strength, he would have had to maintain the kingdom in his own strength. Amen. That's why we can wait upon the Lord. You know, God knows what he's doing. How many of you know that God's smarter than you? If you don't, we'll have an altar call here after service. Amen. Glory to God. God is smarter. He has a plan, a plan of victory, a plan for you to be an overcomer in this life. You can trust God. Tell your neighbor you can trust God. So we need to look upward. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great of a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, every distraction, Everything that's trying to cause us to get off focus of the things of God. You know, if the devil can't get you to backslide, he wants to get you to get off focus of what God's doing. That's why it says in Isaiah 41, fear not for I'm with you. Be not dismayed for my right hand will uphold you. What does it mean not to be dismayed? Don't lose focus. All the things that are going on are trying to challenge you to get your attention somewhere else other than what God has for your life. And that's what it means to be dismayed. It doesn't mean you're in fear. It's a very subtle way to try to get you, you know, distracted from what is really important in your life. And so it says, lay aside every weight, every distraction, or those sins which easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with that endurance. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it said, this one thing we need, we need patience and endurance. We need to know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We need to know, we need to have this confidence. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. Glory to God. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to wait around until I see the glory of God manifest in my life. Run endurance, the race that's set before us, looking unto who are we to look on to? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, God authored your life for you. You were wonderfully and fearfully put together in your own mother's womb. And God created you for such a time as this. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And it's a good purpose. And that purpose is not only to bless you, but, in order, but also so that you can be a blessing also. So he's the author, and he's the finisher. You know, God started, he can finish it. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, and now has seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And where are we supposed to be seated? With him in heavenly places. Now look at this. He despised the shame. You know what that means? He has overlooked the wrong that you've done. 
You know, when I was studying this, I had this flashback. I was a little boy. I don't know how old I was. But my mother used to take us to the YMCA to go swimming in the evening once a week. And so I was there, and I got together with another little boy who had one of those little styrofoam, you know, holders that you kick with. Well, I thought it was a surfboard, you know. And uh, I thought, well, we can surf on this. So I had the little boy put it on the side of the pool, and I jumped in there, and I just jumped on right on top of that little thing and broke it in half, you know. And so anyway, went to mom, what are we going to do? And, and mom was ashamed somewhat of what her little boy did. But you know what? She didn't leave me at the pool to defend myself. Hello, somebody. She took responsibility for the wrong that I did. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means by despising the shame. He took for him, on him, the wrong that you did and took responsibility to it. He despised all that. It was worth it. You know, one day my mom said it was worth it, you know, because I grew up, you know. And even though as a little boy I broke somebody else's surfboard, my mom took responsibility for the shame that I created in our family at that particular time. And you know what? As I grew up, she wasn't ashamed anymore. Why? Same, same with God. God knows there's a destiny for you. You will grow out of this situation. He will despise the shame of covering your mistakes and taking responsibility for the wrong that you've done so that you can have victory in this life. Isn't that a great illustration? Amen. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, 6 says it like this. Being confident. We need to know this. We need to know this like we know the back of our hand. We need to know this knowing that this is what God is doing. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you. How many of you would say that God's done a good work in me? How many of you would say he began a good work in you? Huh? He who began a good work in you will complete it if you do everything right. Or oh, it doesn't say that? Who started the work? Who's going to complete the work? Who's going to rest in the Lord and let him do it? I am. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Amplified Bible says it like this. And I am convinced and sure of this very thing. Are you convinced? Are you absolutely convinced that there's no man that there's no devil and there's no government that can stop God's plan for you? Are you convinced that God started something in you and he can complete that? Well, if you're convinced, give him your best shout right now. <laughs> Be convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue will continue that good work until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Glory to God. God's still doing the work in me. I haven't seen everything that I know God's going to do, but you know what? I am not going to stop. I'm going to continue to believe God. I'm going to continue to trust God. I'm going to continue to contend by faith, live this life of faith, fight the good fight of faith, knowing that God is going to complete that work for which he has started. Well, how is he going to do it? I don't know. When's he going to do it? I don't really care. Amen. I just know that God said it, and it will come to pass. 
The Message Bible says it like this. There's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep it, keep at it, and bring it to flourishing finish on the very day that Jesus Christ appears. I'm convinced God's going to finish it. Tell your neighbor, I'm convinced that God's going to finish what he started in you. Well, the last thing that I believe that's important for us to do when we're going through challenging times is to look inside. Ask ourselves, you know, we could have missed it. You know, we, we, we may have accidentally gotten out of the will of God. We have, may have gotten off track. But I'm here to tell you that God's not only a God of second chances, but he is the God as many chances as you need to get it right. You know the story of Gehazi, how he rebelled against Elijah. And Elijah said, you know, Gehazi, you got in your own strength, you got in your own mind. It's not what Elijah said to him, but this is really what happened. And he said, you know, the leprosy that was on Laman is not going to be on you and your family. And then when we move forward, we see there in Kings, you know, how these four leopards are sitting at the gate of Samaria. Most Jewish commentaries believe that those four leopards is Gehazi and his four sons. And so they sat there and they said, you know, if we sit here, you know, we're going to die. If we go into the city, we're going to die. And what are we going to do? They said, let's go to the Syrian camp. And this is why I believe it was Gehazi. Because who was it that offered Gehazi the money that he needed in the first place? The Syrians. So Gehazi went back, and they went to the Syrian camp. And as they went back, because they wanted to live, God used them. And the Syrians thought, oh, my gosh, the Israelites, they have gotten the Egyptians and other people to ally with them, to wipe us out. There's nothing better for us to flee. And so when the four leopards, Gehazi and his sons, got into the camp, they found it empty. And they thought, well, we're hungry. We'll just eat what this guy, one guy left his eggs and bacon and biscuits and gravy there. We'll eat that. Went to another tent, and this guy brought all his gold necklaces and his bronze trophies and things like that. Well, we'll take that. Another one had a whole bunch of clothes. Yeah, I could use some of these clothes. They began raiding all the tents and taking everything. And then they realized, you know what? What we're doing is not good. Why wasn't it good? Because God didn't bless them just for them. Hello, somebody. God didn't preserve their life just for them. They said, we need to go back to Samaria and tell the people about the good news. And so as we read the story, we find out later on that Gehazi was restored back to the king. Obviously, he had to be healed of leprosy because he couldn't be in the presence of anybody. So what is that story of? That's a story of a God of a second chance. No matter how bad you missed it, God can get you back on track to fulfill his plans and his purpose for your life. How many of you believe that? If you believe that, give the Lord a shout in this place. But you know, David had to go to God. You know, he took the uh, uh, ephod and, and he got in the presence of God. And I believe one of the first things he did was say, you know what, God? When I got discouraged, I did something in my own strength. I ask you to forgive me. But you know, repentance is not just asking God to forgive you. Repentance is about turning back to God. And this is why trials and tribulations come against you, to get you off focus, to get you from, and try to stop you from turning to God. 
But repentance ought to be a daily routine with us where we're constantly turning to God. Well, now, Pastor Tom, I've always been taught that repentance means to turn away from your sin. Well, when you're turning to God, what are you turning away from? Hello, somebody. It should be more about turning to God, coming back to God. You know, the Old Testament talks about it like this. When you come back to me, what is that? That's repentance. When you get away from me, these things will happen. You know, you lift the umbrella of my protection and the things that are in the world will come up on you. But when you come back to me, what are you going to find? What did Jesus say for all, all those who are weary and heaven laden? Why do you think they're weary and heaven laden in the first place? Because they begin to do things in their own strength, not trusting the Lord. See, you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you, but you can't do all things just because you're a Christian. Amen. Hello, somebody. We get into our own strength. And so all those who are laden, heavy, heavy burden, come to me and I'll give you rest. In other words, turn back, repent. That's what, he re, that's what he means by that. That's why I love Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says, repent, therefore, and be converted. Listen, when you come to God, God will do the changing. Hello, somebody. I'm, you know, I'm just not good enough to live for. Listen, come to God. Let God do the changing. He'll start changing your thoughts. He'll start changing the way you think. You know, I'm very, I'm very uh, uh, the, uh, probably disappointed, maybe it's probably the right word, but <coughs> kind of embarrassed a little bit. But when I first got saved, I didn't have a conviction for abortion. I didn't care one way or the other. But as I began to press into God, and I began to read the word how I was wonderfully, intricately made in my mother's womb, I began to realize that abortion's murder. It changed my heart. What happened? Did politics change my heart? Did philosophy change my heart? No. God changed my heart because I went to him. God began to change me. God began to change the way I think. God began to change the way I process things. God began to change the way I live. Why? Because I was pressing to him. He did the converting. I just came to him. That's why it says when we repent and come to God, it says, it says you will uh, be converted and your sins will be blotted out. I love that one shirt that says, you know, if you accuse me of my past, I'll just tell you what Jesus said. He dropped the charges. I mean, that's what it really means. It means more than that. It means as if there were never any charges filed against you in the first place. That's what it really means. Not only will he, he uh, convert you, but he's blotted out. In other words, he has removed all excuses for you not to receive the goodness of God. What's the number one excuse we have? I'm not good enough. He made you good enough. Glory to God. And so when we, we, we repent, therefore we're converted, our sins are blotted out, and then times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Isn't that what we need from time to time? We need those times of refreshing. You know, I repent every morning. In other words, when I wake up in the morning and I sit down and I begin to worship the Lord, I'm coming to Him. And many times in that moment that I'm with God, I can feel those times of refreshing coming up on me. I feel the new strength of God. I feel the new energy of God just rising up inside of me, knowing that His presence is with me. That's what it really means. The Amplified Bible says it like this, or excuse me, the Expanded Bible says it like this. So you must change your heart and live and repent. Come back, 
return, turn back to God, and he will forgive, wipe out, and erase your sins. Then time, times and seasons of rest, refreshment, comfort, the Masonic age will come from the presence of the Lord. So what would I do if I found myself in a place like David? Well, the first thing I would do is I'd begin to rehearse what God has done for me. I'd begin to proclaim what God is going to do for me. I would look unto God and Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of my faith, and I would ask God and allow the Holy Spirit to come into my life and say, if there's anything, Lord, where I've missed it, maybe got my own strength, did my will and not your will, or where I've opened the door for this thing, Lord, I want you to forgive me and get me back on track. Because he is the God of second chance. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to take it one step further than what Pastor Vicky said earlier. But to this, this morning, I've been instructed of the Lord to pray for those who are experiencing a heaviness. That are dealing with discouragement. Who feel like you can't go on anymore. But I'm here to tell you that as you come back to God, as you come to God, as you begin to press in, I'm here to tell you that though you walked in this place one way, you'll leave this place different and changed by the power of God. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.